Good morning. How are we today? A good day. We had a beautiful, well, I guess a wet weekend. We had a chance with BJ. We were on the road this weekend. We got to do a college retreat for E-Town College for their crew ministry. And so we spent the weekend with some college students in Hazleton and got a chance to share this message, this message, and this message, and got to watch God use the truth of Ephesians 1 and 2 to the life of these college students. And we had a great weekend. I couldn't bring all of this but I brought shoe boxes. Don't worry. We did do this part of it. I've got a problem. I'm admitting to the problem. Um, but a powerful weekend. Powerful weekend. Just got a text from one of the students that was with us on the retreat. And God's working. Can you turn me down just a little bit? God's working. In this message of who we are in Christ. And that's not where we start, but this is where we start. And this is how we get there. And as I shared that last night, God's word, God's spirit was working and moving. And so it's exciting. I think of the story that Ryan shared. God's doing stuff in our community and through this church, and I'm excited to be a part of it. I want to take just a minute to pause and to recognize and to thank our veterans. If you're a veteran here this morning, do you mind standing up? We want to say thank you. We want to pray for you. Do we have any veterans? We've got some. <clears throat> we are thankful for your service. And we're thankful for your family and the sacrifice that they've made for your service. So thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray as we start our service. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for stories like Ryan shared, for this young lady who came out of the grave and heard the truth of the gospel. We're thankful for this weekend with these college students who are being confronted with their sin and the life that you give in Christ. And God, we're just thankful for how you work and that you don't just leave us here, but you move toward us. God, we're thankful to be a part of what you're doing here. God, I'm thankful for our veterans, for their families, for the sacrifice and the service that they have given and give currently for us and for our freedoms. And God, we pray that this morning you would bless them, that they'd feel encouraged. And God, so we, we're just grateful. Now, God, as we... Open up your word as we continue through Ephesians. God, as we look at the ramifications of what it means to be in Christ, God, I pray that we would be humble. It's easy to be defensive when we start thinking about how we should be living, God, and I pray that your spirit would humble us and open us up to how we should live our life. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Here's my stool. We've got one kind of big idea that we're going to focus on, that we're going to focus on this morning. I'm going to put it on the screen. We've been talking about this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Oh, yeah, you can go past the verse. We'll come back to that. Live as the person you are, not 
as the person you were. Live as the person you are right now, not as the person you were. And so in our context, we stand in this box. This is who we are. And so now as we kind of shift to Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to tell us, don't go back this way. Like you are something new. You've crucified, Galatians tells us, we've crucified our flesh. And Second Corinthians tell us we are a new creation. We are something different. We are something new. But there's this tension in our life. Even though we stand in this box, it's still possible for us to reach back to who we were before Christ. It's possible to pick these boxes up and to carry, around, carry them around with us. And Paul is just essentially saying, stop going back Be who you are in Christ. Walk in your new life. We need to put wheels on this. This, like, walk in this. Grow in this. And as we get to this section in Ephesians 4, this idea of being somebody new, living in this person who is new. We we talked about it last, or two weeks ago. Remember when I said, um, when you get married, you become something new. Right? You're not the same person you used to be. You're not the single person. You don't live the single life. You are married now. You make decisions differently. When you have kids, your life changes. Like You're not the same person, and we all know that. Like Your life looks differently when you have kids. We become something different. And if we were to try to live outside of this new kind of identity there would be big problems. And that's what Paul's telling us here. Live who as who you are. And as we get to 417 through the rest of the chapter, kind of the, the key difference, okay, the key difference between who we are in Christ and who we were apart from Christ and before Christ, he's going to make this point that the key difference begins in our mind. The way you think This is the big difference. And he's going to hit this point, make this point over and over and over again that it is our minds that is the key difference between this and that. Because when we become in Christ, when we cross this bridge because of this right here, when we get into this box, God gives us a new way of thinking. He gives us a new way of thinking, of processing, of understanding things. But when we step in that box, when we cross this over through faith, by his grace, our new thinking isn't fully developed, right? You don't, you don't come to Christ and all of a sudden have this mature, perfect way of thinking and understanding life. As I was thinking about this, I kind of was thinking it's like a seed, like when you get in Christ, he gives you a seed in your brain. And, it, and, and it's a baby and it's just a little, it's a little sprout. And we're to water that sprout and to grow that sprout. I was thinking of my daughter a couple years ago. She came home um, from school with a little pumpkin sprout. And she was told by her science teacher that she was to record the growth of this little pumpkin sprout. And I was like, well, where we used to live, we had hardly any grass. We had a four foot by eight foot front lawn. It was wonderful. 
We had a couple of, of like planter boxes kind of working up our stairs. And she said, Dad, we need to plant this. We need to plant this. I have to observe this growth. And I'm like, I'm like, you're in like kinder, like what, kindergarten? Like, does it, do we have to do all this? So I cleared out one of the planter boxes. We planted this pumpkin sprout. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, I'm from the city. Okay. I don't plant pumpkins. I buy pumpkins. Okay, I don't make pumpkin pie. I don't get the process of how you get a pumpkin and you get it to pumpkin pie. Like, that's not something that I'm comfortable with. I've never planted a pumpkin before. Here's a picture of Caroline with her little pumpkin sprout. And so she was all excited to observe this. I'm going to be the good dad. I'm going to plant this pumpkin. Okay, again, I'm a city boy. I don't know what pumpkin plants do. Do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> I had no idea that after planting our pumpkin, that this is what was going to happen. <laughs> so I planted it at the very top. There's Buster too. Look at that. I planted this pumpkin sprout on the top planter box. Okay, there's another picture, I think. It overtook our steps overtook our neighbor's yard. It grew and it grew and it grew. And I had no idea, but now I do. (laughs) God is telling us we have to grow and change and mature in how we think because it's possible to still think like a dead person. And, And if you look at Ephesians 4, He's going to emphasize this. But before we get to our text, a couple quick things about your mind. You know, when the scripture talks about your mind, I think we sometimes take our understanding of the mind and we kind of put it back into the text. And there's a slight, there's some different connotations when scripture talks about our mind and our thinking. Okay, in the Bible, your mind is more than just your critical thinking. It's more than just your ability to do a math problem or to to use wisdom to think through something. In the scripture, the mind was more of a whole of who you were. In Hebrew thought, instead of like segmenting our personalities with brain and heart and soul, in, in Hebrew thought, we were one person. And so mind, yes, it has to do with how we think, but it's more than just how we think. The mind is also the center of how you feel. Mind and heart are used interchangeably. Mind is more than just what you think. It also has to do with your desires and your wants. And so it's bigger than just how you think. The mind is a powerful thing. Right? The mind is powerful. As I was just thinking through this passage and, and how the mind is the, the centerpiece of this passage, I realized how powerful the mind is. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 10 that talks about how we're to take every thought captive. You're familiar with it. But it uses a word to describe what our mind can do. And I was just stuck on this word this week. It says, your mind can create strongholds. A stronghold. A stronghold is a wall. It's a hill. It's 
a protective measure that would be built to protect something. And in 2 Corinthians 10, I'll just read it. It says, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So he's saying, we're fighting a war. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians. But he says, we're fighting a war against strongholds. Now, strongholds could be anything. But he clarifies what the stronghold is. In the next verse, he says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion. These opinions and these arguments, this, this stronghold is in our mind. And the mind is a powerful thing that if we don't learn how to think correctly, we will be destroyed. And so in this passage, we're going to get there soon, you see this progression of thinking. And I love just kind of how he makes this argument. You see this progression. Let's see if it's next. Thinking determines your actions, which determines your outcome. How you think determines how you will act, and how you will act will determine your outcome. Again, he's saying it starts with that seed in your brain. And we've got to learn how to think correctly because your thinking is tied to how you live and how you feel and how you act. And what's interesting is I was just thinking about this progression. How you think affects how you act, which affects where you end up. I came across this way of counseling that is used all over the country. It's not called Paul's counseling in Ephesians 4. It's called cognitive behavior therapy. I think they should rename that. Okay, here's what this type of therapy does. This type of therapy says to the person, we want to teach you that you can't control what happens to you. Okay, you can't control what happens to you. But what they've seen was, is that the problem is, is that the person is thinking negatively about what's happening. And, and this negative thinking is perpetuating negative behavior. And so this type of therapy is all about teaching you how to think. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we think about what happens to us. And if they can teach these individuals how to think correctly or positively about what's happening to them, we can impact how we, how we live and the choices that we make. And this makes a lot of sense. Like our thinking determines how we're going to act. And I see this all the time. So let's say you've experienced a broken relationship, maybe a divorce. Okay, how you think about this relationship or this divorce, how you think about that is going to impact how you respond to it. So if you think, I'm just, I'm worthless, or if you think I'm just angry, I'm, I'm just upset that God would do this. Or if you just think I'm not good for anything, I can't even keep a relationship together. Like you can imagine how that type of thinking is going to impact how you respond, right? That's, that makes sense. Or if you think I'm just not, I'm not good enough or I'm not loved. Like again, that thinking dictates how we're going to act. And so Paul here is saying, it's time to change how we think. In Christ, 
We have a new way of thinking. Before Christ, our thinking was off. Ephesians 4, 17. Let's read the first seven verses. It says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of purity. In light of what I've just said, try to just pick out the words in that passage that have to do with your mind. Okay, he's saying, he starts by saying, hey, let's go back one slide. Can you go back a slide? Thank you. He, he's saying, don't walk like you used to walk. You can walk in this. Don't walk as the Gentiles or someone who's apart from Christ. Live as this. And he says, your thinking used to be way off. The wording here is strong. Let's go through some of these words that have to do with how we think. The futility of the mind. He's saying, your mind used to be futile. The way you thought about life was meaningless, purposeless. This is how you used to think that there's no purpose in this life. You go to Ecclesiastes and you see 36 times this idea of futility is used with how we live our lives. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes 2 that I'll read. It says, I increased in my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted every kind of fruit tree. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers, concubines, the delight of all men. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. And he's saying, when you, it's just like a vapor. Your life has no lasting purpose. And if you think that this is all there is, that we're going to be put in the ground and that is that. Like that way of thinking is going to impact how you live. But that's not all he says. In verse 18, he says, we're darkened in our understanding. We're in a dark room. The lights are out. And there's confusion. And you just don't get why all these things are here and how life works together. He goes on. He says that we are ignorant because of the hardness of our heart, we don't understand. We're confused. We've chosen to live the life of God separate from him. He says we, we're calloused. Okay, this is our heart. We just don't feel anything. We're dead to feeling. And now you can just imagine how this way of thinking is going to impact how you live. 
It just makes sense. If you think life is just you're here and then you're gone, if you are just, you don't understand things, if you just have a lack of feeling, that's going to filter into how you live your life. And so he says there in verse 19, he says, they, they have given themselves up to sensuality. All pleasure is mine to pursue. If my life, if I believe that my life is nothing, if I'm just confused, then that's going to lead me to just pursue pleasure right now, here, today, and tomorrow. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy is a word we don't often think with impurity, but it's just this craving for more. Again, if we think like this, we're just going to want more and more of sexual immorality, and we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. And as we make these choices in this old way of thinking, it determines our outcome. If you go back up to verse 18, it says, alienated from the life of God. Like that's the outcome. Our thinking leads us to choices, which leads us to a life that God did not want for us. We were created to be in relationship with him. And then everything changes. So he's saying, this is how it used to be. This is how it used to be. Look at verse 20. This is the hinge in this passage. It kind of goes from, this is how it used to be. Don't go back there. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him or were taught in him as the truth that's in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's exactly what he's saying. He said, this isn't what you've learned. Your mind, this isn't the new way of thinking. We've got a new way of thinking. And he says, put off your old self. Put on your new self. Take this off and put this on. Don't go back to this way of thinking, of this way of living. You can do that. Go this way. It made me think of my dad growing up. My dad had a shirt that he just loved from his college days. Like, dad, you're too old for this. But he had this shirt. And we, I remember one Christmas thinking, you know what? We're going to get him a new shirt. You know, it's time, Dad. It's ratty. It's got holes in it. So we got him basically the same shirt, but brand new. And my dad opened the present. He, he, lied. he said, thank you, guys. And he went up and he put the shirt on. Okay, a couple of days later, Dad came downstairs. Guess what my dad was wearing? Like, Dad, get rid of that shirt. That's like a rag. Dad, get rid of it. Do you have a shirt like that? You just, it's just like we keep going back to it. It's like, Dad, no. Something new. Don't go back. Go forward. Live in this new way of thinking. It's not how we've learned about Christ. And then he says, be renewed in your minds. This daily renewing with how we think brings you to Romans 12, right? This, you be, you're transformed. You're not conformed to the world because of your mind and how you think. And this is where it starts. It's how you think. And so then he tells us, and we'll see how we're doing. We're doing good. He says, here's, here's some new ways of thinking, and here are some new ways of living. 
And we get to the second half of the passage in verse 25, and he says, I'm not just going to tell you what to stop doing. So much of people who are in Christianity think it's all about what we don't do. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. No, that's not what Paul does. It's stop doing this, start doing this, and here's how to think about when you are doing it. It's more than just do the right things. It's think the right way, which will overflow into you living the right way. And so he doesn't just say do these things. He gives us a reason, some theology to think about as we pursue this new life. And I love that because it's not just just check the box. It's, it's think about it. Grow in how you think and it'll inf- impact how you live. And so he gives us four or five things. We're going to go through four this morning. Saying, here's the new way of living. And I texted my wife. She was working on this box. She said, do you think we've kind of driven this into the ground a little bit? These boxes. I said, yes. Yes, we have. These are the four that we're going to be talking about. That he says in this part of Ephesians. Say, this is the new way to live. First he says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It says, put off lies, put on truth. Take off the lies and the falsehood and live in truth. Now, nobody in this room would probably say, well, nobody would say, I never lie. I don't think so. I don't think there'd be someone, anyone here to say, I never lie. But we would probably be a little bit hesitant to call ourselves liars, right? We don't, we know that we tell lies, but it would be a whole different thing to say, hey, I'm a liar. Like that's like, ugh, sounds pretty bad. But the truth is we live in falsehood. Think about all the ways that we stretch the truth. I wrote some just pieces of lies that I think have crept into people's lives. Big lies and little lies, half-truths, exaggeration, leaving out details that might put you at a disadvantage, deception, overstating our accomplishments, misleading, misquoting, misinterpreting, twisting people's words, gossip, Paul's telling us to live in truth, to live in truth, to get rid of any aspect of falsehood. Now, what's the way of thinking? Remember, it's not just be truthful and stop being dishonest. It's why would we do that? And he tells us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Falsehood destroys community. Gossip and lies and exaggeration and misleading and overstating things destroys community. And he's saying, you have a new way of thinking. It's not just you and yourself. It's just not you getting what you want. You now are in Christ in a community. And so speak truth. When you speak lies, who's the father of lies? Satan. There is no falsehood in God. Jesus is the way and the truth. Like, live in truth. Don't live in falsehood. He continues. 
26 and 27, the second thing, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. I want you to think about the last time you were angry. Last time you got worked up. It may have been a couple months ago. It may have been last month. It may be last week. You may be angry right now. It says, be angry and do not sin. He's not saying all anger is sin, right? There's this thing called righteous anger, which what, we, we hardly really see that very much. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. This is convicting because I struggle with this. This is something that I'm working on, this idea of self-control, of controlling your feelings. In your anger, don't sin. And I love, there was a passage that I've reflected on this week. Proverbs 16.32. Incredible to me. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The man or the woman who can control the feelings of anger is better than someone who can overtake a city. And he's saying, don't let your emotions run you. Don't let them run you. Don't, the, nat, the, 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 the natural thing to do apart from Christ is to express those feelings, to say what you want to say. But he's saying in Christ, no, control that. Control that. Don't let the sun go down in your ear. He's saying, deal with it. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. So outside of what we experience outside of Christ. And he's saying, make things right. Forgive. Thirdly, thirdly, put off stealing. Put on generosity. So again, he's saying, Change how you think, which is going to change how you live. Put off stealing, put on generosity. Some of you maybe have felt a little uncomfortable with those first two. Lying, tr- like just stretching the truth. You might have like, um, anger, you're like, yeah. And you're like, oh, good, stealing. Whew, I'm okay, I don't shoplift. Um, but as I was studying this, I still continued to get convicted over this. Two words in the New Testament that describe thieves. Hakleptos and hakleptan. Hakleptos was somebody who took something that wasn't theirs. So shoplifting. Okay, but the hakleptan was something different. This was the person who doesn't take something physical, but who steals through misappropriation. You take something that was meant for one thing, and you use it for another. This is the person who spends time at work. You're on the clock and you're not working. This is the person who stretches their expense reports, who gets reimbursed for something that's not theirs. This is the person who evades the taxes and doesn't, doesn't give everything that they're supposed to give or report everything they're supposed to report. He's saying, this is not how you think anymore. This is not how you think. The other one that I was just thinking about that is more prevalent than maybe shoplifting is how we give to God. You know, you would, it's, it's hard to make a case 
that God doesn't expect us to give back what he gives to us, right? It's hard to make a case that God doesn't expect for us to give at least a portion of what he's blessed us with. Now, you may, we can get into good discussion about before taxes and after taxes. We can get into what percentage of what we're supposed to give, like all that, we can discuss all of that. But it's hard to make a case that there's not this idea in the Bible that says you give back to God what he has given to you. Yet, study after study after study says 80% of evangelical Christians never give a dime. Never give a a penny. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, we don't think that way anymore. We used to think, we take because we want. We work because we want. He's now saying, we don't take and we don't work to want. What do we do? We take or we work because we want to give generosity. It's not just not stealing. The progression is you don't steal so that you can give. What a transformation. And it starts in your mind. Then lastly, and I close with this, put off tearing down, put on building up. Let no corrupting corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. He's saying, watch how you use your language. I said it a couple weeks ago. It's easier to tear down than it is to build up. It's easier to demolish something than it is to build something. Like, I can't build. Like, I'm not going to go to my house and start building. Like, if they need me to, like, take a hammer and take something, I can do that all day long. Building is harder He's saying, spend your time building others up. And this this is hard to do. It's much easier to say nothing than to think about how can I say something positive to somebody based on their gifts or their personality, based on something we've seen, like speak something encouraging to someone. We don't, I don't think we're always tearing people down. I just think our conversation is just neutral, we don't speak enough kind words to the people in our lives. I remember learning this with kids and students. We were at a retreat one year, and our speaker said, I, and I always hated when speakers did this, said, get up, and I want you to look at somebody in the eyes, and I want you to say something nice to them, positive about what you know about them. I'm like, really? We have to do, okay. I'm the youth pastor, yeah. So we all stood up, and I remember looking at students in their faces, I said, Bella, you're kind and you're gifted. You help when nobody's looking. And as I did this with the students, they wept. They wept. Every student that I grabbed, I said, you are gifted. You are kind. Literally, they would weep. We don't hear enough of the kind words. It's not something we're used to hearing. We're used to hearing the corruption, the tearing down, the neutral conversation. And he's saying, change how we think about our communication. And here's, and I close with this thought. When we do this, we showcase Christ. We showcase who we live in, right? Because who's the truth? Christ is the truth. Who's 
the, the key of forgiveness. It's Christ who, has, who is generous beyond anything we can ever imagine. Christ is all generous who has built us up and called us by name and made us these things. It's Christ. And when we live and walk worthy because we think differently, the world is going to look, look at you and say, I don't get it because this is not how the world lives. I don't get your generosity. I don't get your kindness. I don't get your, how you're so focused on truth. Like they, they're not going to get it. And it's an opportunity for us to say, it's because Christ is all of these things. My prayer for us is that we would change how we think. That we would go deeper in our thinking. And that as we think and as we grow in our thinking about what God's word says, that it would impact how we live our lives. And when the world sees it, they will want to know more. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you are teaching us something new. It's exactly what you tell us in Ephesians 4, that we are taught something different, that we're not locked in the futility of our thinking, that we're not darkened in our understanding, but that you've, you're teaching us something new. You're renewing our mind and how we think and how we live. And I pray, God, that you would grow me you would grow us to think differently, to live differently. You know, as I think through these four aspects this morning, truth, forgiveness, not anger, building up, not tearing down, not stealing and taking and hoarding, but generosity. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would work. You would work in each of our lives that maybe we would just focus on one of those this week. There's one that we just realize that we keep thinking like our old self would think. Help us in your mercy and kindness to know where we can grow. Give us the humility and the courage to change. We want to walk with you. And God, it all comes down to your son. We're so grateful for the cross. That you don't leave us as we are, but you come and you change our lives. It's in the name of your son that we can pray to you. Amen.